This is episode 17 of the Lumbar Trucking Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. So glad you could be here. I know it's been a little while. I've been very busy. I want to fill you all in on what I've been up to. And to do that, let's just pick right up where I left off. Last time I spoke to you, I was in Lordsburg, New Mexico, on my way back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area to deliver a load. And that I did. I was in and out of there very quick. Once empty, I headed south on 35 the Walmart Distribution Center in Waco, Texas, where I swapped my empty for a loaded trailer of used assets from Walmart. That headed all the way back up to R&R Solutions headquarters in Gravid, Arkansas. From there, when I was empty, my next load was going from Fort Smith, Arkansas to Riverview, Florida. Now, this was pre-planned, but not entirely by design. What I mean by that is I had had it on my calendar to go to Florida the weekend of April 8th, we didn't know how I was getting there yet. And luckily, one of our customers, QualServe, who I've mentioned on this podcast before, they manufacture stainless steel fixtures that go behind the counters at fast food restaurants. They had a trailer that needed to go to Riverview, Florida, which is right outside of Tampa. And I just happened to be spending that weekend in St. Petersburg, Florida. So I grabbed that in Fort Smith and headed on over to Riverview, Florida, and dropped off that load at a brand new Papa John's that's being built down there. From there, I headed on over to St. Petersburg. Now, parking in St. Petersburg is the tricky part. Called a couple of Sam's Clubs, and they were a no-go. And I can see why when it comes to geographically restrictive areas, such as St. Petersburg or take Manhattan, for example, things like truck parking are limited because of the real estate and how everything is developed. When it comes to a place like Sam's Club in St. Petersburg, as opposed to a place like in the middle of Ohio, that has plenty of land and isn't as enclosed or surrounded by ocean, once that Sam's Club in St. Petersburg is known as a place that allows trucks, it becomes the truck stop of St. Petersburg. And unlike yours truly, not every driver out there leaves every place they park as clean as they found it. And I guess I will leave it at there. Now, why was I in St. Petersburg that weekend? Now, I've mentioned these guys before on the podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to go on over to anywhere you listen to podcasts as well as YouTube, and subscribe to the boys over at Hard Factor News. I also subscribe to their Patreon page, patreon.com slash hardfactor, where they have some really awesome bonus content that I follow there, and also access to a Discord server where we all talk and shoot the shit basically every day. Now, the reason why I support these guys is because they uh, reciprocate that to me. They subscribe to my podcast, listen, offer me feedback, they watch my YouTube channels, they follow me on all social medias, we engage and talk daily. I consider these guys good friends. And uh, it's crazy when it comes to relationships like this. And I feel like it started back with video games. Back when Halo was getting popular and people would talk on headsets and eventually become friends. We're now at this point in technology where social media and content creation is um, giving platforms to what I'd like to call normal people. And by normal people, I'm talking to the guys over at Heart Factor. Really, they are normal people. They're very similar to... Literally most of my friends, as well as myself, there's something relatable with those guys. Uh, but they are elevated. They're popular. They have you know, well over 50,000 followers on Instagram and you know, tens of thousands of followers on YouTube. But I interact with these guys daily, and we've, you know, we've become friends. We know everything about each other. They are also supporting me. It's a pretty awesome thing, and I think this is probably about as far as we'll go with how awesome technology can be and how beneficial things like social media can be. Now, when it comes to this metaverse stuff, count me the fuck out. If I get an invite for a wedding in the metaverse, you can 
don't even send me it one. And if you are, if you do, just chalk me up as a no, because I ain't going. I'm not fucking with any of that metaverse shit. But anyways, the weekend in St. Petersburg was awesome. My, it was my first time back at the beach since June of 2021, where I was at my friend Trina's wedding. Shout out Trina Burks. If you haven't, make sure to subscribe to her woodworking YouTube channel. So it was good to be in some salt water, some nice weather. We took a party bus to the Tampa Bay Lightning game that Friday night. Uh, they were playing the Bruins, so it was a good game. Saturday, spent time at the beach. Uh, St. Pete's cool. They got a lot of really cool bars, fun nightlife. Had a great time with the hosts over at Hard Factor and other supporters of Hard Factor's Patreon page. I'm looking forward to the next one next year, St. Petersburg, Florida. I'm glad they put something like that together. It was uh, it was really awesome. Now, that Sunday was a hangover from hell, but a hangover well worth it because of what was in the week to come. Now, my load coming out of Florida picked up north of Orlando. I picked up a bunch of scrap metal that got loaded, and that was a pain in the ass back into that yard because it, it looked like you couldn't even fit a car in there. But I managed to get in and got loaded there pretty quick, and that was going all the way back to Kansas City, Missouri. And I will preface this by saying that this was my last official load as a company driver with R&R Solutions. Why is that? Now, this process all started back in January, and I had mentioned on one of the podcast episodes before that I was in the market for a used truck. But my best friend and I, who had met in high school, his name's Jay Peel, we, at the beginning of the year, like typical New Year's resolutioners, we said, this is fucking our year, baby. And uh, we just made a plan. We're like, we, we need to start. We're going to do this. It was him who came to me. He told me, we, we speak often. We, you know what's going on. You've re- done so much research. Are you ready to become an owner-operator? I said, yeah, I'm ready. But I'm, <laughs> I said, financially, I'm not ready. We had just moved into our new house in October. Now, one of the keys to becoming an owner-operator, and if you're going to start a business or take out a commercial loan on a vehicle, you do want the house first. You want the house out of the way, something used as collateral in the finance world. You know, I'm not that big of a finance guru, but you need the house first. Because if you take out a loan on a commercial vehicle and say it's $80,000 and then you go get a house, your debt to income is going to look weird. So it's going to be harder to get the house. But like I said, this isn't a finance podcast. If you would like a finance podcast, please go check out my friend Zach Jurgensen at DIY Wealth. That is his podcast. He can talk about all those things. You can find him on social medias too. He'll answer more of those questions. And I'll get into more of that in detail, especially on the YouTube channel once once the revenue starts coming in because that's what we did. We had finally bought a commercial vehicle and we were ready to start a business and reestablish what was known as Lombard Trucking. Now this process was long. We met a lot of people along the way. There were trials, there were errors, but <laughs> It started when it came to looking for trucks. That was where it became difficult. Registering the LLC, all of that, that was came pretty easily. But finding the truck was the hard part. Now, as you know, inflation is tough, and prices are rising, and things are going crazy with the economy right now. So, But I knew that there were deals out there from guys I've been following on YouTube. So I was like, I'm going to find the deal. I ended up getting in touch with a gentleman on Facebook. I'm going to leave his name out because I respect privacy and we don't need to get into that. Uh, but I will tell you the dealership I bought the truck from, it is TLG Peterbilt. I had a very good experience with them overall. So TLG Peterbilt is where the truck came from. But I met a gentleman who was selling a truck on Facebook 
and he had mentioned in the post that financing was available. So that's what Jay and I were looking at to do. We wanted to finance the truck. We didn't just have 50K outright to buy a used truck. We didn't have 50 to 100K, whatever it was. We had enough for a down payment of $30,000 and we were ready to buy a used truck. So we were looking at people who wanted to finance. We tried to do seller's financing with a uh, local gentleman out of San Marcos. He didn't want it. He wanted the cash up front. Hey, that's on him. I ended up finding this gentleman on, on a used truck Facebook page. He had a 2014, I believe, Freightliner Cascadia, a former Walmart fleet truck. So I knew it was well-maintained, had an APU. It checked off all the boxes of what we needed. We tried to go into financing with that. It had high mileage. It had mileage in the 700,000s. So the financing came back bad because banks don't like high mileage vehicles. So they give you a short-term loan of 32 months with a super high interest rate. So it's just not worth it. But this guy assured me, he goes, all right, man, hey, I'm going to find you a truck. I'm your guy. I will put you in a truck. He ended up finding us two more. And one was going to be it, but it was a 13-speed. And now I can drive a 10-speed manual very well. But the 13-speed is just something I'm not used to. And I made the business decision of saying, okay, I'm not, I'm not for my first truck as an owner-operator getting something that I've never driven before. I just don't think it wise. We were looking at 10-speed manuals and automatic trucks. Automatic takes uh, probably priority over a 10-speed, mainly because if for any reason I have to get out of the truck, it is very easy to put a driver into an automatic truck. There are more CDLs out there with automatic restrictions on them than there are people who don't have that restriction. So if you ever need a driver, the automatics are the better deal. I know manuals sometimes are the better manufactured, but like I said, I'm not a mechanic at the end of the day. I'm just going off of everything I've read and everything I've known. So we almost locked in this other freight liner that was a 13 speed, but I made the decision, okay, this is a no-go. <clears throat> he ends up coming back with a 2018 Peterbilt 579. It was owned by Bozeman Transport, so it's a former fleet truck. Now, mind you, the gentleman I'm working with is at the dealership in North Carolina. The truck that TLG just acquired, they're over in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Okay, not a problem. He assures me that if the truck gets to North Carolina <clears throat> and to his shop, <clears throat> we would be in that truck sooner. So I said, okay, cool. A couple days went by, We're, I'm checking in. Hey, what's the update on the truck? Hey, he tells me, oh, it hasn't moved yet. Hey, would it be easier if you picked up the truck in Fort Smith because they seem to be kicking their feet on transporting this uh, to Raleigh. And I said, yeah, actually, it would be a lot easier if I could pick it up in Fort Smith because the company I currently drive for is in Gravit, Arkansas, just about an hour and a half north. He said, okay, perfect. I'm going to cancel the transport on it. Okay. I give my two weeks at R&R. He calls me the next day after I give my two weeks. This is in April, so my last day with r, &R was going to be the 13th or 14th. So my two weeks are already in. He calls me after I give my two weeks. He goes, Mike, truck is awesome, man. It's in perfect shape, great condition. It's running perfect. And I hate to say this, but I'm sitting in it right now. And I'm like, okay, why? And he's like, I don't know. I guess the, the transport didn't get canceled, um, canceled the way it was supposed to. I said, okay. That's not a me problem. That's a you problem. I was like, that's on you. And, you know, this guy 
really nice, but a salesman at the end of the day, and it's just what, what rubbed me the wrong way was the failure to just take ownership of anything. If that's me, I've been on the other end of this call. I've been, you know, the salesman in North Carolina before. I've been the guy where it's not my fault, it's not the customer's fault, but it's somebody's fault, so I just got to own up to it. That's literally fucking every day at Enterprise. It's just, it's me. It's my fault. This is on me. It's my bad. I'll take care of it. That's fucking every working day at Enterprise. It's just just being getting fucking rolled on. And this guy just wouldn't do it. So we're making a plan. We're making a talk. He was talking about flying me out there. But it's just, it doesn't work out good because we already had the plan to pick it up at Fort Smith. Like I could, I could easily drive the R&R company truck to Fort Smith, put all my shit in it, drive back up to grab it, drop off their truck, get picked up and grab it by Jay and head on back to Fort Smith and grab the truck and get to work. So we end up making this plan. He ends up getting sent back. So this truck's got 2,500 miles on it that I never fucking paid for. So, I mean, that was that was one of our hiccups. But look, we it got good service. It got two extra services on it. We took what we can. We got a little bit off on the warranty because with the truck, we got a two-year, 250,000-mile warranty on it. So it was like no harm, no foul. He hooked us up with some free gas. He hooked us up with some free diesel exhaust fluid. What can you do? Um, I know in transit back to Fort Smith, I guess it had a fender that broke. So that had to get fixed. It's just I had a, you know, I had to have a conversation with this guy. I, I almost had to teach him a lesson. I was like, look, I'm not speaking to you as, uh, as Mike Lombard at this point. I'm actually speaking to you as a representative from a business now because that's the thing. I'm not just a guy. I'm running a business. So I kind of have to start standing up for myself in the business a little bit better. And I had to tell him, I'll be like, hey, this is this is called owner. Like somebody has to own this. And I had to tell him, I said, I've been on the other side of this. I've been in your seat. You just need to take ownership. All you need to do is just say it's my fault. I'll fix this. That's it. And I would have just been like, cool, man. But it's just it took so long and it was so hard for that to happen. But I'll round it off with a good thing. Why the experience overall was great was because the gentleman we met in Fort Smith at TLG, he is a good resource to have. Him and I had a like a two hour long conversation just about the industry, about his experience. It was awesome. All as I was like taking out my stuff from the R&R truck, putting it in that. I got to lend his ear and, and you know, he heard all my questions and it, it was that was a really good experience. And so I have a connection now in Fort Smith at a dealership that I'm going to roll with, which is great. So all's well that ends well in this situation. Now we got the truck. Who am I going to be driving for? How do you haul freight? Now explain this on YouTube, but so here's how it works when you get a truck. You say you're a billionaire. You can't just go out there, buy a truck and a trailer and start hauling freight. You know, if only it was that easy. Uh, there's a lot of people who need to get paid along the way. There's a lot of tolls you need to go through and a lot of paperwork and footwork you got to do to even get uh, a trailer, let alone a load within that trailer. So if you buy a truck, there's two things you can do. You can either lease under somebody's motor carrier authority or you can acquire a motor carrier authority yourself. Now, a motor carrier authority is so if you look at the side of a semi-truck, you see where it says DOT and MC. 
That is an authority number given to you by the Department of Transportation, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety, Safety Association that authorizes you to haul freight legally in the United States. Now, to get a motor carrier authority, the biggest thing it requires is a large and massive cargo and liability insurance policy. And for first year authorities, it's a policy that's about $20,000 a year. So it's about two grand down, two grand a month. So there's a big startup cost to getting a truck and an authority off the rip. You need to pay for those insurances. And then there are other registrations you need. You need to join the Unified Carrier uh, uh, a registry, the UCR. You need to get your plate set up with the IRP. There's a lot of things you need to do to get your authority active. So to avoid having to do that or a way to make money to cash flow so you can one day afford your authority is to lease under a company that already has an authority. Now, when we started this process, the original plan is I was going to lease under the authority of a small business up in Utah that had two trucks, father and son. He had two trucks up there, and I was going to lease under his authority for an 85-15 split gross of the load. We ended up having a small falling out because I, I think I was being strong-armed on the insurance policy. Or he, he was having issues with the insurance. He was trying to say that it was going to cost um, you know, $40,000 a year on his policy to add me, which is wildly untrue and I think impossible. I just don't think that there was something he was understanding. And he was trying to tell me that I was going to have to pay him $2,000 a month in insurance. I got quoted for a policy for the authority, and I was quoted at 19.37 a month. So why am I going to pay him a premium for insurance when I still have to get insurance on the truck on my own anyways? You have to get your what's called bobtail or tractor insurance that has nothing to do with the cargo or liability. So I have to get that and pay for that on my own. And then he's trying to tell me I also need to pay for this carrier authority uh, insurance no go. So we end up having a little bit of a falling out and it's whatever. But after I had given my notice and the day after I had a falling out with the carrier we we're going to lease under, I get a call from dispatch, from the company I currently work for, R&R Solutions. They say, hey, I don't know what your plans are, but you could lease under our authority as an owner operator. Now, I wish I had known this from the start, but R&R doesn't have any owner operators, but I guess they used to maybe five uh, it was either five or eight years ago, whatever they told me. But I guess they're former owner operators. They didn't have equipment that was kind of up to speed, and they um, they weren't taking care of things, and they had older trucks. And so I guess they stopped doing it because – so if you have any sort of violations while you lease under somebody's authority, guess who it affects? Yeah, it hits your CDL, but it also affects that company's MC number. You have what's called the CSA score. Now that score is something that's known by brokers and uh, people out there in the freight world. It's a, it's almost like your your permanent record. They could look up so they could see all oh, this. Oh, they have this score. I'm not. I, I'm a I'm a lower the rate for them because they're not that good of a carrier. Oh, these guys show up late. I guess they had an owner operator who was put out of service by the Department of Transportation uh, three times in a week, and that smashes your CSA score, which in turn will eventually affect your insurance rates. But they knew the type of truck I was getting. They know me as a driver personally. They know that I'm, you know, smart, gung-ho, got dog and determination. I'm ready to take, you know, take this on. And so we ended up making a deal. Uh, so I'm leased under the authority of my, you know, company where I was a company driver. And they're letting me rent a dry van trailer 
at no cost. Now, if I have a blowout on the road, the tire or something will be on me. You know, if I break it, I buy it, so to speak. But to get a trailer at no cost is good. We're at an 80-20 split on the gross of the load. So we're in a very good position to cash flow. Um, you know, this, I am very fortunate to be in this type of position we're in. Uh, I'm blessed. This has been quite a process. Now, the process didn't just end there. I wish it just ended there and boom, I got my first load. And we were off to the sunset, but so we got the truck. Now, initially I thought I was going to get Arkansas plates for the vehicle, but I guess that just can't happen. The vehicle needs to be registered to the business, and the business is headquartered in Texas. So we actually had to get Texas plates. Now, here was our first fucking speed bump in business, was getting plates for this vehicle. Now, when we formed the LLC on the company agreement, it has me on there as a part owner. When that was sent to the Texas Secretary of State, the Texas Secretary of State decided to ignore that, and only Jay's name was on the website. So when I went to go register and get IRP and join the IRP, the International Registration Plan, and get a portion of plates. The truck, Jay needed to be there. Jay doesn't have a Texas license yet, so he needed all these other forms of IDs. So that was a road hump. So we got a call and file an amendment with the Texas Secretary of State, and Lord knows what the fuck that's gonna entail. Uh, so that was a little bit of a process. Now getting a portion plates, you need to pay fees to all 50 states, including British provinces and including the startup fees in Texas. And that totals about $1,400, $1,494 to be exact. But we finally got those plates. Now to get those plates, I needed to send the plate number and everything up to R&R because they need to get me on their IFTA, which is their fuel tax agreement. Because yes, if you're an owner operator, you need to not only track how much fuel you buy, but how many gallons per state. But that's the perks at least under an authority where I have to keep my fuel receipts They'll keep track of the gallons per state because it is their IFTA, it is their fuel tax license. This is all very confusing. And trust me, I'm still asking questions about it myself and I'm learning as I go. We got the plates, we got on their permits, they got everything. Now we had to find a load. So I had to drive empty with no trailer and make $0 from Fort Smith back to Texas to get these plates. My goal was to get myself back up to Arkansas and at least make a little bit of money. So I had been tracking a load on the JB Hunt load board. And it was a power only load. By power only, that means the truck is the power and you're moving a trailer from point A to point B. Now on that load, it said it was a preloaded trailer going to a Walmart distribution center north of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Preloaded trailer. The uh, rate for it, it said it was, so it was going 300 miles from uh, Dallas to Ashalada something, Oklahoma. I don't know how to pronounce it. And it was paying 850. I bid a thousand. It came back. Eventually, we settled at a rate of 954. That's a good rate for power only. It's over three bucks a mile. Good deal. So I get on up to Dallas, and I go to give the uh, the appointment number, and they're like, "Yeah, back into this door." And I said, "What do you mean back in the door? This is a preloaded trailer." This guy was no help. He's going, "No, this is a live load." I was like, uh, "No, here it is, right from JB Hunt. This is a preloaded trailer. Just picking up, picking this up." He's like, "I can't." I can't help you. Okay, regardless. So I get on the horn with J.B. Hunt. Now, actually, it ended up, nothing ended up being my fault in this. I thought I made an error, but the broker from J.B. Hunt told me, he said, yeah, man, we, we screwed up. 
Look at that. Somebody finally took ownership. He said, yeah, man, so somebody should have called you this morning or at least yesterday on a Sunday and sourced you an empty JB Hunt trailer to go pick up this load. We didn't do that because if they did, there would have been a separate equipment movement load for you on the app. I was like, Phew. so I lost myself half a day there. I wasn't too concerned uh, because, look, at the end of the day, I'm still making money on it. I had to drive 100 miles east of Dallas to get the empty, but they tacked on an extra 200 bucks and deadhead pay to get it. But hey, what can you do? But we made it, we made it to Oklahoma. First load is in the books. I'm getting, uh, I'm dropping it now, I'm recording. Um, man, what a process this has all been. Um, sheesh. Huh. But, but I guess before I move forward, because there's some other stuff I wanted to talk about, uh, especially in regards to the last episode, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, Keepers Only. This episode is brought to you by Keepers Only. Keepers Only is an eco-friendly and sustainable clothing brand out of New York. Guys, founder Derek Ciliota grew up spending his summers in Montauk, New York, on the water, and at the young age of five years old, grew a deep passion for fishing so much so that it inspired him to create this clothing brand today with summer around the corner you're going to want to get some of this apparel guys hoodies joggers bucket hats ball caps and they're very cool comfortable fishing shirts and if you're a trucker like me those fishing shirts will actually come in handy because where sunlight and uv rays are good for you you're behind the wheel of a truck and in this windshield it's like being in a permanent greenhouse protect yourself fishing shirts from Keepers Only. And for all of you out there, you got to go to keepersonly.co and use promo code Lombard Trucking at checkout. That's keepersonly.co and use promo code Lombard Trucking to get 15% off your order. And we are back. I wanted to touch on something that's related to what I was talking about in the last episode in regards to being a veteran and the professional career workforce whatever you want to call it and kind of talk about something that has bothered me for quite some time now i had mentioned earlier in this podcast about those three days that are singular days where you know that your life's going to change the first being the day i leave for boot camp the second being the day i got out of the marines the third being the day i picked up this truck these are moments in your life where there are singular days where it's you're crossing the Rubicon, the die has been cast, you're jumping out of the plane on D-Day, so to speak. There's no turning back from those moments. Now, when it comes to the day I got out of the Marine Corps, which that day happened 10 years ago, around this time, I went on terminal leave May 4th, 2012. Like I said, 10 years ago. And for the past 10 years, I've actually lived in regret of terminating my military service why is that what's crazy is i was very very close to re-enlisting like i'm sure a lot of guys will tell you but so i went to a course in the marines in september 2011 uh, the marine corps instructor of water survival course it's considered one of the hardest secondary schools you can attend on the marine corps it was awesome i was in that course with you know, a couple of marsoc guys and uh reconnaissance marines uh, uh four navy personnel who were riverines who 
had attempted uh, to go to Bud's training and become Navy SEALs, all four of which, you know, ended up dropping out, but still kind of badass nonetheless that they had been down there in Coronado. The class started with some 36 or 38 people, and there was only 19 of us who graduated. So it was awesome. It's something I'm very proud of. I'm proud of it to this day. That was my first time kind of getting outside of my unit and, like, meeting other Marines who have different various jobs throughout the Marine Corps, as well as including the instructors of that course. And that was something that was that motivated me, like, okay, I, I found something here. Maybe, maybe I've got it. But I ended up falling out of that, and a lot of that has to do with your surroundings. Now, your friends all convince you that the grass is greener on the other side. Um, but it even goes deeper than that. From the day I got to my unit in 2009, you know, you're told by you know, some of your peers who have been in for a few years but are so close to you in age, they're just like, on, they're on the fuck it train, they're ready to get out, and it's like, ugh. So they're feeding you with it, and you're like, well, why do you feel that way? And they're like, well, look at so-and-so, man. They only stayed in because of that divorce. So look at so-and-so, man. They only stayed in because they knocked that girl up. And look at so-and-so, man. Isn't that guy such an asshole? And you're like, okay, you got a point. And then, you, you know, you try to do a little bit of research, especially being young. And some of your leadership is telling you, oh, if you get out of the Marine Corps, you're going to fail. And, you know, when you're 19 and you hear that kind of negative reinforcement, oh, I'm going to fail if I get out. Now, mind you, it's 2009, 2010 when they're saying this. And, you know, I know the recession has gone on and the housing crisis and everything. So maybe there's some uh, realistic principles to their thought. But I mean, that's not leadership telling people, oh, if you get out, you'll fail. Leadership would be saying, hey, if you get out, it's a tough economy out there. But look, you have something on your resume that says you're a U.S. Marine. I think it can help you. You're a good guy, a hard worker. I wish you the best. You don't get a lot of that. You get a lot of negative reinforcement. Your surroundings just keep telling you to get out. And then I look at myself and I look at the past five years, I look at the past 10 years total, I look at where I've been at professionally, and I have had so many moments in my life where I just said, fuck it, I wish I just stayed in, I would have crushed it. Especially as you see some of your friends that did stay in, and they might have ended up knocking up those girls, and they might have ended up going through a messy divorce, but they stayed in and they were good people and they're good friends of mine and they're absolutely demolishing it. And I wish I was there. I, it, to be a leader of Marines and to, to be an ops chief in fighter air control, it would be pretty fucking cool. I would love it. I look at it. I try to see what I would be in that role. And I'm like, man, it, you know, it wouldn't have been that bad. And it's crazy. You know, one of the only times I ever got that sort of positive reinforcement was that day I got out. So when I got that Marine Corps Instructor Water Survival Certificate, you know, I was able to qualify Marines in the pool, something you have to do once every year, every other year. I met this guy along the way. He was a gunnery sergeant. And I did some swim calls with him and helped him out. Really great guy. Awesome dude. And on the day I got out, he calls me. He's like, hey, Lombard, you want to uh, come up to uh, Stone Bay and do this, do this swim call with me? Or wherever the pool was. I forget exactly where it was uh, on or off Camp Lejeune. And I, actually, and I told him, yeah. I was like, because it was like 8 o'clock. I could have gotten up there at 9. I was like, yeah, I just got to leave by 1130. And he's like, oh, how come you got to leave? I figured, you know. You can milk the whole day. And normally that's what I would do if I had to do a swim call for someplace. A little inside baseball. I used to skate out of regular Marine Corps work by peeping the calendar at the pool and seeing what units were doing swim call. And I would call their S2 and ask if they needed more McQuists to help with their swim call to make it go by faster. And they would always say yes. And then I would tell my unit, oh, hey, I got a phone call from this unit because they looked me up off a database and they need a McQuist. They were like, yeah, I guess you know, we don't have, we're not doing shit. 
besides uh, busting routes on cannons and doing gear layouts. So it was awesome. So he calls me up and, hey, oh, why do you got to leave at 1130? I said, hey, man, I'm actually getting my DD214 DD that day. I'm, I'm going on terminal leave. He's like, oh, man, that's, you know, that's good, man. Congrats. You know, that that's good for you. He's like, you know, you're an awesome guy. You know, you seem to have a good head on your shoulders. You know, I, I, I thought, you, you know, you really had a bright, bright career ahead of you. But, you know, wherever you go out there, you know, I think you're going to, you know, I think you're going to crush it. You're going to do really well. So, that, you know, that was one of the few times somebody in a leadership role kind of kind of said that to me. It's pretty, pretty wild to think that it took all the way up until the last day. And I and I man, I had this fucking knot in my gut, you know, that was telling me, don't do it. See what you could do. Fucking rush in the career planner's office. See, see what they could do for you on your last day. Technically, I had a month because it was terminal leave that I was going on. Probably could have done it. But instead, for 10 years, I lived in regret getting out of the Marines and seeing what that career could have done for me. Um, you know, it's just crazy. It, you know, it's, it, I, I wish I could have seen that through and what can you do? And over the course of 10 years, it's, it has been tough and, I, and it's been, t- I, it was, it's been tougher for other people I know. And I know that, so I'm not trying to I'm not seeking any sort of pity here, but it, I've gone through trials and, and tribulations that I've had to learn. And it's been a lot of growing pains because like I've mentioned on the podcast before, there really is nothing greater than being a U.S. Marine. There's nothing that makes you more proud. You, know, you hate it when you're in, you're bitching and moaning, and then you get out and you're like, man, that was pretty badass. You know, it's wild. And I had a couple of Band-Aids along the way. Like I've mentioned, lacrosse and fraternity, those were good Band-Aids. I had, I had a purpose in those. When you're on a team, you're trying to win. You know, we were building that team from the ground up. It was a new, you know, the program was just getting restarted. You know, when you're part of a fraternity, you're doing awesome shit. You're doing a lot of philanthropy events. You're fundraising. Uh, you're working as committees and as groups, and you're working with other clubs, and you're putting on events, and you're, you know, you're learning a little bit about accountability. It, what you're doing in fraternity and what I was doing on lacrosse meant so much more than what I did after college. The jobs you have after college, and especially as a former Marine, you look at them, and you're like, what the fuck am I doing? You're not doing anything but just making making fucking some some asshole rich. That's all you're doing. What I was doing at Enterprise and even at my last job, what was it for? You're replaceable. Immediately replaceable. Like, no matter what, at the end of the day. So what fulfillment you, did I get out of those jobs? And that's where it really fucking beats down on your mental health. Beats down on that brain. Because what you're doing definitely doesn't even hold a candle to what it's like to be a, a U.S. Marine. And that's when that regret really started to settle in. And, you know, I started getting overweight. I started eating different. I started drinking more and stuff like that. It wasn't until, you know, once, you know, once I started to turn, you know, make some different decisions, especially after I got engaged, I give a lot of credit to my wife, to my relationship, and helping turn that around, and especially being engaged to be married that kind of gave me a spark of meaning and fulfillment of life, you know, the marriage thing. And then, you know, that other spark started to form when I moved to Texas. And now that spark has just turned into a fucking bonfire, man. Because now I have fulfillment. Now I have meaning. Now I have a business. I work for myself now. Now I am doing something just as prestigious as serving your country. I serve my country now as a business owner moving goods and services all across the country. And the best part is it is for myself and it is for my family. It took a long time to get here. 
and there were a lot of trials. There was a lot of bad days. There was a lot of bad nights. There was a lot of there was a lot of bullshit along the way. But now I have that sense of fulfillment. This load that I've got that's that's gone to Oklahoma that was on me. I did it. Nobody did it for me. I didn't wait for it. I'm not doing it for somebody else. I picked this load. I talked to the broker. I made the deal. This is my truck. This was all under my own doing. And I'll tell you, and I've so I and I've never ever felt something like that before since that day I got out. So wherever that gunnery sergeant is, it took a while, but you were right. I did end up making my way, and I did end up finding that success. So thank you for those kind words. To anybody else who's listening, if you're still in the military, my advice is to stay in. There are so many options for you out there, and especially now with the war in Afghanistan ending, you can go to freaking any school you want. There's so much training you could do. Fucking go after it. Be the best soldier. Be the best Marine. Be the best airman. Go and be the best. See that career through. Because if you don't, you won't have that opportunity again. See me now? Shit can fucking fall by the wayside. And, 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 you know, push cave to shove. Ah, shit. I got to sell the truck, get out of the business, go back to driving. Guess what? I have another shot. I'll always have another chance to start another business. You won't always have another chance to get back in, you know, get back and throw on, you know, the America jersey and, you know, serve our country like that. So stay in. Do it. Um, if you're out and you're a veteran and you felt similar experiences that I've had, I definitely want to talk to you. I want to have you on the podcast. I want to talk about your experiences in it, how you're going through it. But I also want to let you know is that there is meaningful and fulfilling stuff left out there for you. Trust me, I know. The world is working against us on that. You know, all the fucking billionaires and big brains, they want to automate everything and, you know, have us not leave our house and have everything just show up at the fucking hand of a robot and stuff. And I know that 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 day may be coming, hopefully not in our lifetime. But there is meaningful stuff. There is fulfillment out there. There are options for you to do that. Unfortunately, it is on you at the end of the day to go find it. And what's crazy is it's going to seem very unrealistic. There's probably things that you want to do that you don't think are possible. I can't because of this. I can't because of that. I can't because of this. If you can't do something because of something holding you back, if it's a relationship, if it's family, if it's this then clearly they don't support you and they are not worth your time, period. Say you've been dating a chick for three years. You tell her, hey, I want to start a business doing X, Y, Z. She says, no, we can't because um, I, I just don't support it. I need, I need you doing this. Oh, she needs you doing what you don't want to do? Sounds like you need to end that relationship. Hey, you might love her, but guess what? You loved an old her that doesn't exist anymore. She needs you to do what you're unhappy doing, then it's not worth it. I could tell you that easily. And that's marriage advice. I wouldn't be with who I'm with if I, if you know, if that was the case. I could tell you that right now. But I know that this has gone on for a while. Um, I'm happy to be in a position to have a lot to talk about in many episodes to come. I hope to keep you all in the loop as we continue to move forward and growing this business. There's a lot of places we want to go with this. Uh, there's a lot of places to go, and I'm not just talking trucks. I'm not talking about adding trucks. You know, we're talking. There's a lot of things that we got on the docket that we're looking at to potentially grow a business right here in Texas and beyond. So please 
If you haven't already, smash subscribe on this podcast. Go out on YouTube. Go out on Twitter. Go out on Instagram. Uh, I'm not just on social media anymore. These things are now a part of my business. Content creation is now something that I not only have been enjoying doing, but I kind of have to do. It's how it keeps you competitive in this world, um, especially as a truck driver. I'm also now on TikTok, so go find me there. Yep, I caved in. Shout out Pat from Hard Factor. He's the one who convinced me when we were hammered. He gave me the advice. He's like, look, I know that app is ruining our youth and everything, man, but just take advantage of it. He's like, they love truckers. So I got it on there now. Make sure to hit me up on TikTok, at Lombard Trucking. Um, like I always mentioned before, if you or anybody you know is interested in getting their CDL, please do not hesitate. Reach out to me. I would love to talk and help you along the way. And as always, just in general, if you ever want to talk, I'll be here.